1: Looking to see Christ in your life in a greater measure? Well, one place to start would be prayer, simply seeking the face of God. We'll talk about that today on Truth For Today. This is Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard. Hi there, and welcome to our broadcast our time together takes us back to God's Word in our series called Divine Conditions for Revival. And one of those conditions is us needing Christ more and more, praying and seeking His face more and more. Well, that is where we need to start if we are to see the presence of God in a greater capacity. Join us and be encouraged, won't you? Divine Conditions for Revival. Here's Pastor Phil Howard now with today's broadcast of Truth For Today.
2: I've done a lot of counseling through the years. And the hardest counseling situation we've ever been in is when we're talking to a couple that's in a triangle. When there's another woman involved or another man involved, and you're talking to the couple, but there's this other lover that one of them has back here that's not in the room. And we keep telling them to work out their differences. And all the time they're having this stress, they're running to another source for what they think they don't have in the marriage. And you can never get this marriage healed until you remove the third party. And you can never have the relationship you're meant to have with God until you get rid of the third parties. It's you and him. You and him. It's not just you, your husband and him. It's you and him. Seek God, and as you come to him, he'll become more precious and dearer, and the things that you've made too important in your life, too much alliance with, he'll remove it and replace it with himself. There's a great thing you may need to know. Hear me well. I think one of the great issues going on among us in the church today, there's some of us who would die to defend the deity of Christ who do not spread the sufficiency of Jesus. Oh, he's God, he's God, he's God. But in our life, he's not enough for me. He is not the water that quenches my thirst, for I still thirst for other things. Jesus, you know, we used to sing an old-facet song: uh, He's all I need, He's all I need. Jesus is all. We couldn't sing today, there's no tempo to it. But I used to think: Is He all I need? It's nice, nice little ditty. Is it true? Is he enough in a bad marriage? Is he enough to make it if my husband leaves me for another woman? Is Jesus enough? Is Jesus enough for addictive behavior? Is he enough for the shackles of sin he found me in? Does he leave the shackles on and say, I'm saved? Or does he break every fetter? He says he does. And we have a gospel that he cannot deliver anything. It's an anathema gospel. It's not a gospel that's saved. Our gospel makes maniacs of Gadara have the chains fall off. The widow of Nain could see his son raised up. This gospel could take a fallen woman at the well, and by the time he gets back to town, she's brought everybody out from Samaria to meet a man that changed me. He read my whole life story and changed me in a moment. Oh, i must must say, I must say, Jesus satisfies. When you come to him, you will not go away thirsty and unsatisfied. He is the drink that satisfies. He's sufficient. Sufficient, that's the word. Well, look at the folly of a man. By the way, every biblical character in the Bible the story is never told without their flaws. We have a few exceptions. Maybe a Daniel, a Joseph. Um, there's a few. But most all of our so-called heroes are flawed. That's why you can never preach Bible biography and say, be like David. Well, what aspect? His adultery or his heart after God? be like David. There's no place we're said to be like a Bible character. We're to be like Jesus. We're to emulate in their life what was like Jesus and what was worthy. But Bible characters, you wonder, here are these great reviving of the nation, deliverance of the nation, and we see the great mistake of his life as we come down here to chapter 16. God had said that Asa's heart was fully committed to the Lord in verse 17 of chapter 15. Then it goes into a narrative. Uh, Verse 19, there was no more war until the 35th year of Asa's reign. Hey, 10 years he was around, 35 years of a great reign. All of a sudden, something happens. In that 35th year, something happened. I call it the folly of Asa. In the 35th year... Israel was t- knocking off towns in his kingdom in the northern part of Judah. And they are in an alliance with the king of Damascus, Benadad. And so Asa panics that God just delivered him from the Cushites, much greater numbers. But he panicked in that moment. Have you ever trusted God on Friday and doubted him on Saturday? Well, this is what's happening. Here a man for 35 years has relied on God, and God has delivered time and time again. And now a new enemy threatens from the north. He's in alliance with Damascus, Israel's ancient enemy. And in the midst of that, in his panic, he says... This time I won't go to God, but I'll strip the uh, sanctuary treasuries and buy protection from a pagan king. Think of it. God's people having to buy protection from a pagan heathen worshiper because their God isn't big enough. Our God can't get us through. We need heathen protection. So ben breaks his alliance with Israel. They get temporary relief. Everything seems just fine and dandy. Everything's wonderful. Then in verse 7, at that time Hanani, the seer, came to Asa. You don't want prophets around your life when you want to sin. Because God gives them search warrants and they come looking for you. And he comes to the king and he says, Because you relied on the king of Aram and not on the Lord your God, the army of the king of Aram has escaped from your hand. You should have knocked off your enemy, but instead he's escaped. Were not the Cushites and the Libyans a mighty army with great numbers of chariots and horsemen? Wasn't that a big army? And you sought my face, and what did I do? You routed them, chapter 14. You had a great military victory. Wasn't I not enough when you sought my counsel and wisdom and relied not on numbers but upon me? Sure, He was. He knew that. God does that a lot to us, doesn't He? Wasn't I good enough for you back there when you trusted me? Didn't I do that for you? Yeah, yeah, Lord, but this is different. No, what's different is you. I'm the same. I still want to deliver. I still have the power. But you have found another source of protection, security, significance. So he says, Yet when you relied on the Lord, he delivered them into your hand. Here's a great verse. You need to memorize this. For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. Look at that. Get the picture. God's eyes just scanning the entire earth, scanning. And all of a sudden, as it were, I see a heart that is wholly mine. There's someone down there who, and that word means committed. They're undivided in their heart towards me. I found somebody that believes I can do it. I found somebody that's going to trust me about it. I found some... I am looking for such a person to show off my power and my deliverance and my enabling uh, uh, in their life, whatever it is. But you've done a foolish thing, and from now on, you will be at war. 35 years under God's direction, peace, victory, deliverance, now you've opened up your whole administration. For the rest of your administration, you're going to be at war. You wanted to buy protection from others? You thought pagans could deliver you, and you fired me from being God and king of Israel? See what happens when I am not heading the campaign. I'm afraid too many times we've, we've fired King Jesus from running the church and running our lives. He's a slave in our life and a token Santa Claus to give every passing wistful wish we have. He's to be king. He's not a lackey. He's not a servant to us. We are under him. He's king. He's power. He's the only way we can ever make it as his people. Why not seek him? Why not pray to him? Make no alliances with this world. They can't deliver you. Only he can. He can. And then it ends with a heartbreaking story. He throws the prophet in jail and put him in stocks. And as I looked this up, it was severe stocks. It was to bend him over and tie the prophet down. And remember, that prophet equals the Word of God. He's throwing out the Word of God in his life. Get rid of the prophet. I want no more messages from heaven. So he throws him in stocks, a miserable condition, and then he gets a disease in his feet. Coincidental, isn't it? Just a, a little. It's a, everybody has health problems. But he became afflicted with a disease. It was severe. And he would not seek help from the Lord, but only from the physicians, which many of them were, as it were, sorcerers who dabbled in a form of witchcraft. They didn't have PhD physicians. But many times it was on the mystical side of things. But he did not ask the God who delivered him from greater crises about the small issue. I need your help to even give me health. Would you touch my feet? No. He's taken an option. I will not seek your face about anything. I'm mad that you rebuked me for relying on the arm of flesh. I must say several things. The fallen condition of man is revealed in that by nature we do not seek God's help. We would rather go to hell than to call out for a Savior. We don't want his help. In the insanity of our fallen condition, we think we're enough that we can manage all of life, even eternity. And uh, it's a fallen trait. It comes with pride. It comes with uh, the fallenness of man. And the grace of God that is revealed in Scripture over and over is, I've done the seeking, God. I looked you up, Adam, in the garden Luke 15, I found the coin that was lost. I went looking for the sheep that was lost. I waited for our son to come back and walk. Whether you know it or not, the reason you're saved today is not that you sought God. He sought you. No man seeks after God. Well, I wanted to be saved when I got saved. What made you want to be saved? He'd been tracking you down. In the labyrinth of eternity, he looked all through time. And it began, this dear woman here, Gail and I, have known each other 20 years. And we prayed many a time for her husband. She said he knelt last night by his bed to receive Jesus Christ. And we just wept together, a 20-year wait in her life. 20-year wait. What makes you all of a sudden want to seek him? He's seeking you. And I want to say this. He's seeking his bride. He's talking to his bride. Come, bride, sup with me. I want fellowship with my church. I don't want rivals to my wife. I don't want to know there's a third party in the life of the bride of Christ. Ye adulteresses, James calls us. There in 2 Corinthians, I've espoused you as a pure virgin to one to Christ, Don't let these false apostles corrupt you and get you into false religions and other devotions. One Christ, one Christ, one Christ, one devotion. And God, in this place today, he's searching. May I be found to have a heart. I want him. I want to tell you, Lord, in front of these people, I want you. I've been seeking you. Not enough. I don't seek you as merit. I seek you out of thirst. I seek you because I'm hungry. I seek you because I'm desperately, desperately wicked apart from you, desperately powerless. So I gain no merit by seeking you. I'm so desperate, I must have you. Because we don't want to turn the praying and everything into a self-righteousness. It is something God has told his people, you can have all my help if you'll humble yourself. You can have my help to revive you. if you'll pray, call on me. You can have my help if you'll seek my face. Ask, seek, knock. Almost sounds New Testament. You mean Chronicles, Principles, and the New... They're all over. They're all over. Those four conditions... Have worked in the people of God throughout their history, whether they're a lampstand in fire a tyre that's about to be removed, or the Laodicean church is about to be removed. When they repented, when they sought his face, when they prayed, God has restored his people throughout history because he wants us to flourish and abound in the power of his might no matter how bad this world is. That's our precious condition. Is it too hard to seek him? Is it hard to seek him? I must say this. I think one of the most heartbreaking things is to have raised children and for them to come where they no longer call you or want you. I've got one daughter, as you know, in South Carolina. The only thing that keeps her in the inheritance is she calls five times a week. <laughs> That's right. Calls early in the morning. She's got a phone now that she doesn't have to pay long distance. And many a morning, because Carolyn's an early waker, and they're three hours ahead of us, I'll come in to get my first cup of coffee, 6.30 or 7. They will have been talking an hour. You notice them, not me. (laughs) My father told me when I went away to school, as I kept getting more education, and he had a fourth grade education, he was only seen by his father as a plow hand, and he ran away at 14 to get away from a cruel father. As I began to go through school and get degrees, first Howard that ever graduated from college. Hazel's the first Howard that ever graduated from high school because we were just a bunch of poor Oakies. He sat me down one day with my short, fat mother. And he sang a ballad. He, He knew a lot of ballads. And the ballad went this way. A farm couple, their boy goes away. He becomes a lawyer. He becomes educated, gets a good career. He comes home to visit the old home place. And mom and dad, they sit down to a common meal. The boy drives up in a fancy car, doing good. And then the old dad, he simply sings to the boy, You must never forget, son, your mother and I are just plain folks. Folks. We're just plain folks. We're not in the circles you run in. But we were there when the fever was high. We were there in the pains of childbirth. This little plain farm woman, your mother brought you into this world. She was hands when you couldn't pick up anything. She was feet when you couldn't walk. She was eyes for you when you couldn't see. And she was the one that heard you cry at three in the morning and beckon to your ever call. And we're just hoping that with all your advancements and all your education, you won't forget to love your old mom and dad because we're just old plain folks. Man, I, I just sat there and wiped my eyes. And I'd say, Dad, my education will never take you from my heart. It has nothing to do with the way I feel about you and mom. He said, I just want you to know I can't match you, son. You know more than your old daddy does. He said, I envy you. I climb steel all day, but you're the only man I ever envy. You spend all week studying the Bible, and I pay your tuition. I envy you. And I think God says that to his beloved church and his children, whether it was Israel or the church. Oh, if you only knew how I yearn for you in eternity past. I was willing to sacrifice a member of the Godhead, my precious Son. I just want you to want me for all of your life. I want you to seek me. I want you to. I want you to talk to me. I want fellowship. You've already got my favor. Why don't you show up so we can sup together? And I'll revive you. And there's times in history He's revived supernaturally, sovereignly a whole area when his people were doing these things. I challenge you, precious saints, you've got a father standing, seeking, one his face, seek his face. And I now see the face of God in the face of Jesus for the gospel rent the veil. And I am not like Moses that needs to veil my eyes. The veil's been rent for me and I behold him and not another in Jesus. Oh, precious Father, how we desire. I want to want thee. I desire to desire thee. I want you, Jesus, to get the most out of this church. It's yours. And as I prayed this morning, I heard you say, what's in this service for me? What's in that church for me? Is it for you or is it for me? I heard you, Jesus, and I'm searching my heart. And you're searching uh, this very auditorium now, and you're searching the whole earth to find somebody whose heart is wholly committed, undivided, loving you with all their heart, mind, and soul. And only you can enable us to even love you, Lord. Father, I'm sorry to say this. I, I can't love you like you deserve unless you enable me. I cannot love you like you deserve. I cannot produce it. I cannot get it. I won't seek you, like I should. Would you put the want to? Would you put the desire? Would you put the uh, do the divine work in us to do the things you want of us? For we cannot even obey what you command until you grant the grace to obey the command. That's how weak and powerless we are apart from divine grace and mercy in Jesus. Please help us. We want to want you. We desire to desire you. Hear our feeble cry. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: And this is Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard, the ministry of Valley Bible Church here in Hercules. So stop by truthfortodayradio.org or simply give us a call, 855-833-9864. Again, you can reach us at 855-833-9864.